So one of the things that I struggle with each series that we do is transition. We tend to preach through a book of the Bible. And what I don't believe is God-honoring is just to crank through a number of books of the Bible just to see how many books of the Bible we can get through or how many topics we can get through. And we just invested an entire month on, on orphan care. And my heart would be that we would leave that book open, that we wouldn't just close that up, put that away on a shelf and let it get dusty for another year. One of the things that came to mind for me was we had a, a greater than series, and some of you would, would remember this, that we talked about a couple of different spheres. And actually, Anne was able to repurpose this into something else. It now has some snow on it that strangely isn't melting, but it's still there. But this sphere represented the things that we care about. And what we talked about was the idea that our sphere of care is always bigger than our sphere of influence. Remember that? Our sphere of influence was represented by, by a much smaller ball that kind of hung suspended in here. And that part of the greater than series was how do we prioritize, how do we discern, how do we talk and think and strategize through so that we aren't left trying to do and fulfill all the things that we care about and rather hang on to and do well what God's given us and what we can handle. So when it comes to orphan care, we've been saying that no one can do everything, but everyone can do something. When we were in our Greater Than series, we asked this question. We said that God created you for good works. Do you know what those good works are? So here's what I care about. This is the orphans of the world. Here's what I can handle. The whole point of orphan care, and even really anything that God would ask us to do, is hang on to and do well the good works God's given you to do. And we had different size spheres. Remember that? Because some people care a lot. Some people care less. Some people can handle a lot. Some people can handle less. And so not to look and compare at other people's spheres and all of that, but to say, God, I believe that you have created me as a Christian and gifted me and resourced me as a Christian. And so would you help me focus on what I can handle? And would you help me to guilt-free, joyfully say no to everything else? That's part of just living the, 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 the Christian life. So, with orphan care uh, now being moved on from, um, we're going to be starting a new series this morning that's called Red Words. You probably saw it on the way in. You may have read about it already in your bulletin or on our website. This week, I was um, eating my brown cow cream top yogurt, which I do most mornings that I'm here in the office, um, the best yogurt that money can buy. Um, and while stirring up my yogurt, um, I, was, I was caught by the lid that I had just peeled off and set down on my desk. And here's what it said. Stir, skim, or dig. And it asked me how I, can eat, how I eat my brown cow cream top yogurt. And then it says this. Help end our long-time debate at Facebook brown cow yogurt. And so what I did was I quickly tweeted out my intentions to help with this noble cause. And I went on and I started to, to help end this crisis, this long-time debate. No, I didn't do that. I looked at that and I marveled because that's exactly what I had written into the opening part of this sermon, which is this. We are bombarded by words. We, we live in a culture that has so many messages and so many words coming at us so many invitations to pay attention that it can be really, really overwhelming. 
And not only are there a lot of things to hear, there are, there are a growing number of devices for us to hear them on. Are there not? Some have plugs in them. Some are wireless. Some are billboards. Some are nonstop streaming things at a restaurant that are giving us the news 24 hours a day. Bombarded by messages. Now, I do catch the humor that some of you may be catching on to right now, which is to say, Dave, aren't you one more voice in a sea of voices? Aren't you doing, aren't you just adding to the noise? Here's why I would say I hope not. I hope that what goes on from the front, whether it's someone else preaching or myself preaching, is that we would be ones who would be like a neon sign pointing to the voice worth listening to, pointing to the words that have been preserved for us that, that demand and warrant our undivided attention and devotion. So that's what I long to be this morning, is not one more voice to kind of cloud in everything else, but to be a herald and just say, I want to direct your attention. In fact, all I really want to do in the short time I have on a Sunday morning is whet your appetite for more. I hope that a lot of you come away from a Sunday and go, I, I need to get into that some more and, 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 and discover it for myself. Jesus was a teacher. And to get his point across, he did a lot of walking and talking. What I mean by that is he did a lot of living out what he talked about. He modeled and he showed forth to people who were watching him the very things that he taught. But make no mistake, he also talked a lot. He taught, he shared, he used words. He preached sermons and he told stories. And if you look at the Gospels and you were to weight those two, the ones we have recorded for us by far are more stories than sermons. So we're going to look at sermons because Jesus did in fact preach sermons. But far more often we have recorded for us around the meal conversations, on the way talking times, at the well doing chores, you know, interactions with people. And most often Jesus would teach through the medium of storytelling. Who doesn't love a good story, right? I mean, in kindergarten, this was my favorite part of the day, hands down. We would come in, and Mrs. Turner, my, my kindergarten teacher, would have us lay on our special mat, and remember, the lights would go down, probably to help calm down kids like me, and we would be you know, told to sit quiet for a moment, and we'd usually get a little snack, and then teacher would sit down and tell us a story. I love that time of the day. I don't know that we ever really outgrow it. I mean, people love a good story today. In fact, they'll spend really good hard-earned money for it. It's called the movies, right? I mean, that's story time for our culture. $15 gets you about an hour and a half. It's complete with the lights turned low and a little snack, right? And teacher's going to tell a story. I mean, it's like we're all back in kindergarten again. Stories preach. In kindergarten, my kindergarten teacher told me stories and told the class stories, and there were little lessons built in, little, little, little lessons about honesty, little lessons about friendship, perhaps. How about today's storytellers? I would venture to guess that the most widely listened to preachers are producers, directors, and screenwriters, people making our movies. That is the way many, many people are consuming morality, consuming kind of their worldview, their, their shape of the world. There was a little song I learned in church growing up, and it said, be careful little eyes what you see. Be careful little ears what you hear. 
And the truth behind that story is this. Your direction is set by what you pay attention to. Your direction is set by what you pay attention to. More specifically for our context, maybe your direction is set by who you listen to. Which voices are you filtering out? Which ones are you listening to? This is precisely why we are devoting ourselves to the red words in this series. We're saying that Jesus' words are worth repeating. His words are worth giving our attention to here on Sunday mornings and at Community Group this, this series. Proverbs 17.24 says this, Sensible people keep their eyes glued on wisdom, but a fool's eyes wander to the ends of the earth. You ever walk out of a movie and just go, that wasn't a story worth telling? I've walked out of certain movies that were about a person, and I thought of all the people in all of history that you could invest a gazillion dollars in to tell their story, that wasn't one we should have told. Not at all. Man, we're, we're just missing out on some more important stories. I've also walked away from some movies and thought, wow, what a powerful medium to communicate some things um, that I can tie into the scripture and say, God, all, all truth is your truth. I, I see your truth in what's being portrayed here. Are your eyes glued on wisdom or are they wandering? To the Christian this morning, here's what I would invite you to kind of as we walk through this series. Stay close to Jesus. Listen to Him. Devote yourself to His words. Now, I know that's not revolutionary or new, but it bears repeating. We, we need reminding of that fundamental. Stay close to Jesus. Proverbs 2.6 says, The Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. <clears throat> so, Christian, when it's easy, rejoice. When it's hard, stay the course and trust. Don't settle for skimmed over conclusions of mine or anyone else's. Dig in for yourself. As we look at the stories and sermons of Jesus in this series, I hope, again, it whets your appetite to, to, to jump in and study it and read it for yourself. I love Sandra's word. The word changed us. We just want that for other people. Freely we've received. Freely we want to give that away. All right, to the undecided this morning. This series is really an invitation to, um, to have an informed picture of who Jesus was and who Jesus is. Our culture kind of offers a caricature of Jesus, right? And there's little bits and pieces. And, and if, you're even, if you've even read the Gospels a couple of times, you, you can realize that many things are attributed to Jesus that he never said. They're just kind of made-up, pithy comments. There's a lot of things that Jesus said that never makes it into print. So what happens is we have kind of this caricature, cartoon picture of Jesus. What I hope is that you'll be offered something beyond that here. Jesus unapologetically beckons all people to follow him, to believe in him. And we're going to see that in his words. All right, why don't you turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. That's where we'll start this morning. Jesus was a good teacher. That's an accurate statement. But don't leave him there. It's actually nonsense to leave Jesus as just a good teacher. First of all, uh, no one gets killed, run out of town, violently opposed for hugging children and talking about kindness. No one. 
That's not what happens. Jesus was run out of town, violently opposed, and ultimately killed for something different. So again, we're going to let Jesus speak for himself. We're going to, we're going to see a picture of why that took place. Jesus draws strong reactions because he makes strong claims. Before looking at Jesus as a teacher, Jesus as a storyteller, Jesus as a preacher, I want to kind of lift the lid and, and remember who, who it is that we're talking about with Jesus so that you can begin to have um, a refreshed picture of who it is that we sing to and worship and are hearing from. Um, and you can just jot this down. I know I've asked you to turn to Mark 1, but you could jot down Colossians 1.15. It's there in your notes as well. Colossians 1.15 to 17 says this. He, talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is eternal. I mean, Jesus has no beginning and no end. Don't accept that blindly. Accept that with pain on your brain. That should make your head swim a little bit. You ought to go through the spiritual development phase of saying, Really? Is that possible? Can something be eternal? That hurts my brain as a finite creature. It's supposed to. So this infinite, eternal Jesus that we just sang was was there at creation and there at the cross and will be there on and through eternity, that's who we're about to learn from. That's who we're about to hear from. This eternal person came to earth in the form of a baby and took on the name Jesus. Philippians 2.7 says that he emptied himself and he took the form of a man. That is to say that when God sent his son Jesus and Jesus took on human flesh, it says that he emptied himself. He set aside some things. What does that mean? It means that he didn't cheat. It means that he came to walk on the earth as a man. Jesus was fully God and fully man. He lived, breathed, thirsted, hungered, was tired, was tempted, all like us, with one important distinction. What is it? He never sinned. He did it perfectly. Hebrews 4.15 As fully man, he grew and developed over time. Luke 2.52 says this, that Jesus, growing up, Jesus, increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. You know what that is? That's mental, physical, social, and spiritual development. He didn't cheat. He took on flesh so that he developed over time so that we could have a high priest who would identify with us because he's walked where we've walked. This is important for us as we speak the gospel unashamed to other people. I don't know if you ever questioned this, But you ought to ask this question, where does Jesus get the power to live this amazing life that he lived? Where does he get the the power to speak forth the way that, that, that he did? When he was reviled, he was able to bless. Now, 
The context of Jesus' life, the fact that the scriptures point out that he developed over time, the fact that we're going to look at a passage today where he's in his hometown, gives us context for this. Because the easy answer would, would, would be, well, he's Jesus, right? He's God. But let me tell you what that does. That tends to say, Jesus then lived and modeled a life that I could never, ever, ever even hope to begin to do. Because I'm not Jesus, I'm not God. On one hand, is that true? Absolutely. Jesus is unlike anyone who's ever lived. You will not live a perfect life. Don't deceive yourself. However, the very reason Jesus came to this earth is to take on flesh, become a baby, grow up over time, live as a man, and model a life that we can mimic and do. Mark chapter 1. After his birth accounts, we find Jesus preaching, healing, and serving. That is to say, he was involved in ministry. He came for the purpose that God had made him to be. So how is Jesus empowered to do this? Mark 1, 35 to 39 says this. You can follow along. And rising very early in the morning... While it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said, Everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. How is Jesus empowered to preach and discern whether he should stay in this town because everyone's looking for him, the demands of ministry, or move on to the next one? He's powered by prayer. He's gone out to a desolate place to pray. Just listen to Luke 3.22. This is at Jesus' baptism. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Track with me here. Here's the life Jesus came to model. He set aside, he emptied himself so that he could take on the form of a man. And watch how his ministry is being powered. It's being powered by prayer. It's being powered because he's a child of God. It's being powered because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's baptized. Let me ask you a question. Are we able to pray? Yes. Are we able to become a child of God through faith in Christ? Yes. Are we able to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. You know what else he did? He broke out his sandals and he walked places. I mean, how transferable is this life of Jesus? Pray, be a child of God, be baptized, be filled with the Holy Spirit, do the works of ministry, walk around doing ministry. That is incredibly transferable. In fact, flip your Bibles over two pages to Mark 3. That's exactly what he did. Mark chapter 3, verse 14, this is Jesus transferring this life, beginning to show forth this life. Here's how you do this. Don't take the cop-out answer, well, that's just Jesus. I could never do that. I came to show you that you can. Mark three fourteen, and he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. So Jesus came to preach. He said, this is why I came out, to preach and teach in these towns. 
And now he's transferring this life via the very means that, that are accessible to all of us. We can pray. We can be a child of God. We can get baptized. We can be filled with the Holy Spirit. We can open our mouth and talk. And we can discern and speak as Jesus did. <clears throat> as we look at the teaching of the life of Jesus, his sermons and his stories, keep this in mind. Keep the end in mind. The end is Jesus, after three years or so ministering and walking in this way with his disciples, tells his disciples and future disciples this message, go and make disciples. What's the next thing he said? Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So teaching and preaching is is what he's been gearing them up for. Red Words as a series is not a museum tour where I'm going to wander around the gallery and stand at the side while you all marvel at word art and I point out some little intricacies and little nuances and you ooh and ah and we're all sipping champagne and eating brie cheese. That is not what this series is about. Sometimes people come to the scriptures and they, they treat it that way. I learned in college that some people thought of the Bible as nothing more than literature. Any of you track with that? So we studied the Bible as great literature. Now, it is, but, but that's, the, that's the little lowest level you could possibly look at the scriptures. That's, that's not the way we're going to do this series at all. Instead, this is us as Christians leaning in and remembering and rehearsing the ways that the second person of the Trinity taught us the eternal Son of God who came and took on a body and showed us how to talk to people, what to say, when to remain quiet, when to speak up, what to speak about. Discovering that He's actually coaching us, that we are to take up this this word and continue in the message, continue in the work that He came to do. All right, flip over to Luke 4. This will be our text for this morning. And... We're going to look at the start of Jesus' preaching. Now, Luke 4 isn't the first message that he gave, but it's the first message that we have anything recorded about what he said. You ever hear the expression, absence makes a heart grow fonder? Yeah, Brian has (laughs) one. Good. Well, it's this expression. Uh, no, I, I know more of you. One person was nodding his head. Thank you, Brian. I'm, I'm trying with you. Um, what, is the opposite, what is the opposite of absence makes the heart grow fonder? What is it? Wow, that's a teacher right there. I thought it was this right here. Um, but it's actually probably that. Familiarity breeds contempt. Right? We have this saying. I was explaining it to me. I, I loved it. Tegan, my, my 10-year-old, sitting with me last night, and we're watching the Sharks game together for a little bit before she goes to bed. And I've got my sermon open on my laptop, and she sidles up next to me, and she's like, what is that? Is that for tomorrow? I said, yeah. I said, I'm just kind of looking over some things. She's like, what do you got? <laughs> okay, well, uh, here we go. And, and I just started kind of walking through some different things and, 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 and sharing the points with her and whatnot. And, and she, she got this. She, she said, I haven't really heard that expression before, um, but, but I described it this way. I said, you know, um, the fact that you go off to school every single day and come home 
isn't that fun? Isn't it fun when you come home to, 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 to mom? And she goes, yeah, I love that. And, and when mom, mom happened to be gone last night. So I said, mom's normally here. I said, if she was here every day, all of your life, I said, you'd start to not appreciate mom. Do you, do, you, do you get that? When she goes away, isn't it great when she comes home? She goes, yeah. And I go, isn't the best part of your life whenever I walk in the door? No, I didn't say that. <laughs> I didn't say that. But she probably graciously would have said yes and then chuckled. But in describing it, it's the idea, right, that when someone is around all of the time, we tend to lose the importance of that person. I'm, I'm bringing this phrase up because in this first recorded sermon, the setting of it is incredibly important. Luke chapter 4, verse 16, he brings up a couple of items that, that allow us to see some of the context. We're in Jesus' hometown and his habit was to go to church and show up in synagogue. It said, it says, as was his custom to do this. That setting is going to be really important as we walk through this. Follow along with me as we start in verse 14. And Jesus returned, catch this, in the power of the Spirit. Christian, that's available to you. That's not unique to Jesus. Returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report went a report about him went out throughout the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Pause. <clears throat> so what we have is this initial response to Jesus in verse 15. This is normal for spirit-led people. There's an initial praise. There's an initial attraction to a person who's walking in the spirit. And Jesus got that same thing. People, people wanted to be around him. That's what we see at the start. Being in his old hood now is kind of a double-edged sword for him. Is he going to be more welcomed and more received because he's known, or is it going to work against him? Sometimes we grow weary of what we see every day. Think about pets for a moment. When you first get a pet, feeding that pet is delightful. Getting some water for the pet, wonderful. Even scooping the poop is somehow magical, right? For a very, very short period of time. I'm not sure about this. I think I'm going to publish this. But I think for all future pets around our house, we're going to actually have our kids place their hand on a Bible and say, repeat after me. And we'll give this little pledge. I promise to care for this pet for all of time until we either bury or flush the pet. Do you so promise? The child will have to say, I do. I will fulfill these duties whether I am currently in love with said animal or not. I will stay faithful in sickness and in health, in dryness and in wetness. Do you so pledge, child? Yes, I do. <laughs> Why? Because pets are really fun at first. But then all of a sudden, that becomes an everyday thing, and it can become a chore. This is true with your career. This is true with your spouse. It's true with your friends. It's true with your roommates. It's true with your neighborhood. We can just get into this mode where it becomes a chore. The point is this. If you type in familiarity into Google, by the time you get to the second I, here's the suggestion that comes up. Familiarity breeds contempt. If you miss this point, then you miss what's going on with Jesus' sermon. You totally miss what's, what's happening. Jesus is in his hometown. They know his parents. They watched him grow up. 
They all went to bar mitzvah barbecues together. They hung out. They knew this guy. And now he's standing up in the church to read. And by the way, a little bit of Jewish worship, you would stand up to read the scripture and then you would sit down to teach. So just kind of, again, um, uh, Luke is giving that to us because he's writing to a primarily Gentile audience. Most of us in this room are Gentiles. That is, non-Jews. Other places, it doesn't say some of these things because it's like, of course we do that. We already know that we do that. Watch as we continue to read that they will cheer his gracious words. That's our guy. That's the hometown guy. But then they will turn on him the moment that he assumes any authority or makes any demands on him. How dare you? Who on earth do you think you are? We know your parents. We know where you live. I changed your diaper in Sunday school. Right? That's what's going to happen. This is true today as well. You may not believe this, but on occasion, when I speak elsewhere, uh, the people that hear me speak go, wow, you taught with such insight. You're such a delightful young man. You, you, you know, and they, they shower me with praise. And here's what I'm thinking in the back of my head. And they go, we want to hear more of you. And I go, yeah, until that tipping point when they go, oh, it's him again. Right? I mean, now, don't, don't shower me with, with encouraging emails. I feel very encouraged here. But the truth is, because you hear my voice, because you see me often, there's a certain, there's a certain ability for the message to kind of lose its umph. One of the things that I prayed for Glenn last week was I said, God, I really, really love my friends at our church. I really love the sheep that you've called me to pastor. I don't care who says it. Would you let them hear some things from a different voice this week, namely Glenn, just so that they'll get it? And that's part of the, the beauty of variety, of bringing up different people and hearing different voices. The message that Jesus is about to give is hard to swallow. Look at verse 18. This is from the prophet Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Let me go on. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. Can you say pregnant pause? I'm not sure how long that pause was, but I would love it if they gave us that delicious little tidbit of information. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This prophecy from Isaiah is a prophetic passage that is saying this is the Messiah you're to look for. These are the characteristics that are going to be about him. And then Jesus says those words. Verse 22, And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? First of all, I want you to see the priority of the vulnerable that Jesus leads with in this first recorded sermon. Remember orphan care? Remember why we talked about orphans? Because they, they lead the list on God's heart of the vulnerable. Who's the vulnerable here? It says that he's going to go to the poor, to those who are held captive, to those who are oppressed and bullied, to those who are blind. Are they not vulnerable people in our society? Take that physically. Take that emotionally. Take that financially, as Rich just shared. Jesus says, I'm going to go proclaim, and I'm going to start there with them. 
Verse 22 says that they marveled at him. Some of your translations say they were astonished. They were amazed. They were filled with wonder. I want you to see as we go through the stories and sermons of Jesus, this characterized the life of Jesus. People marveled at him. It wasn't always a good marveling. They were astonished and amazed at different things. Part of what drew a crowd to him is that he would say things that challenged the leaders of the day. Mark clarifies Jesus' teaching as to why it was unlike anything they were used to. In Mark 1.22, it says, They were astonished because Jesus taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Instead of reading a passage of Scripture and then quibbling and quoting over the revealed text, or saying, this is what God says, catch this, here's what Jesus came on the scene and did. He walked on the scene and he said, I say to you, Truly, I say to you, over and over and over, he says that. He's proclaiming to be God in that statement. That's authority. After reading the Old Testament prophecy, and the people were there in suspense as to how he would explain it. He did the the unexpected. Instead of explaining it, he announced fulfillment. Today, this is being fulfilled in your presence. This is a day unlike any other day. Could this really be happening? If Jesus is lying, he's going to get stoned for this. He will get killed rightfully for speaking words of God that aren't from God. If he's truthful, then today is a day at church like no other day. This is a preacher like no other preacher. God has shown up in something remarkable. This Redwoods series will be a season of time for us to marvel and to wonder and to be astonished at the gracious authority of Jesus Christ. If, if we don't let the familiarity of it breed in us contempt, pride, I've already heard this, I, I, I could draw some other nuances, apathy, oh yeah, that one, that's a good story. So guard your heart. Guard your heart as we move forward in this. Wonder can turn into wander very quickly because of familiarity, right? You start off marveling, and pretty soon, as the proverb said, your eyes are wandering to the ends of the earth. We have a strange lust for something new. We just do. So guard our hearts as we walk forward in this. Let me read on, 23 to 28. It says, And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard that you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you that there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine had come over the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath, in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. That's a Gentile. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman and Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. All right, here's the little meat of the sermon. This is where it turns a little bit ugly. What's going on? What's he talking about? He basically just said to them, history's been made in front of you today. 
This prophet that I just read from in, in Isaiah, that's happening right now in Nazareth. And then he goes on to give them a little history lesson. <clears throat> he identifies himself as a prophet. Prophets aren't without honor except in their hometown. What you know about a prophet is this. They're courageous people who speak forth the word of God. And they say it often in the front of a whole nation, calling an entire nation to repent. You're all wrong. King to the lowest person in the land. You're all wrong. Prophets in general didn't have to plan long into retirement. They were often killed. They were often violently opposed. Jesus is coming on the scene as a prophet, identifying himself as a prophet. People often loved the prophet until he started speaking rebuke. And especially if he didn't get the hometown discount. Hey, you're our guy. Don't be talking like that to us. What he's doing with this mentioning of two other prophets and two other points in their history, he's pointing out one of the driest spiritual times in Israel's history. And he's implying that that's what's going on right here in Nazareth today. He's making a comparison to say that that three-and-a-half-year judgment that the nation was in during that time, where God couldn't even work and chose not to work amongst the unbelief that was going on, and he lifted his hand of blessing that he actually went to bless Gentiles. This infuriated the Jews, that the Gentiles would get blessed over them. And by implication, Jesus is saying that exact same thing is going on here. We know elsewhere in Scripture that Jesus actually pulled back and limited his signs and wonders and healings and miracles. When? When there was unbelief, right? So that's what was going on here. They're almost trying to goad him into a miracle or two. Hey, we've heard about you doing great things over there. Show something. Let's, let's see it, and then we'll believe you. Jesus is never a performer. He's never goaded into doing those kinds of things. <clears throat> the truth is, as infuriating as hard-hearted Jews of the time would have hated to hear that Gentiles were being ministered to over them, Jesus came for both, the Jew first and then everyone else. And in true fashion, the people of God who killed the prophets would run him out of town. Let me close with the last few verses here. 29. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the city on which the town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. <clears throat> and he went into Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. We have a saying around here that's trying to mimic Jesus. It's this, come as you are, but don't stay that way. Come as you are, but don't stay that way. Jesus proclaimed gracious words. Gracious words are easy, but gracious words can end up being really, really shallow if we just leave it there. Oh, it's okay, you're okay, you're not okay. The message that needs to be heard, and what we see in Jesus is that good teaching is needed. We are born thinking we're okay. It is deeply offensive to be told we're not okay. 
Jesus, come as you are, spoke gracious words and was celebrated. But don't stay that way. Was him loving enough, risking relationship enough, risking his own comfort enough to show them the truth and call them to repentance and say, God's way is higher and better. Follow me. I want to invite the band up right now. If you want to live like Jesus, you must open your mouth and proclaim good, truthful news. You must love people more than your own comfort. You must risk friendship. Feelings and interpersonal relationships are really highly valued today, but often at the expense of truth and sacrificial love. Jesus demonstrated for us a different way that we can follow in. Become a child of God in faith. Get baptized. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Pray. Go do the works of God. That's what Jesus modeled for us. He demonstrated it on another day when they wanted to run him out of town and take him to the edge of a city and kill him. And this time he didn't slip away. His time had come. He had come to fulfill his mission on earth and demonstrate the pinnacle of love giving his life so that we wouldn't have to die and be punished for our sin. It's by the cross that ushered in the good news for the poor sinners. Talk about Isaiah. The freedom for those held hostage by sin. The spiritual enlightenment for those who were blind and wandering and stumbling in the dark. And release from those who were oppressed and burdened. I have a question for you this morning. What would it be like to walk away from here this morning unburdened? What would it be like to walk out of here seeing in the light instead of hiding in the dark, no longer held captive, enslaved to all manner of sin, fear and lust and greed? That's the offer that Jesus was offering. You know what the action item for this morning is? It's the same one that, that, that Jesus was. Several of the Gospels say it, and from that point on, he began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Those are all we have of some of his first sermons, those words. So here's the action item, church. Repent. Repent means simply to turn around. Stop running after sin and run toward God. A feature of this series, so to speak, is that we're going to be opening every single service and closing every single service by reading a passage of the words of Jesus Christ. In essence, we're going to give Jesus the first and last word every single week. We're going to sing a song, take up our offering, and dismiss. And just before dismissal, I want you to listen. I want you to hear from Jesus. Listen carefully for who this eternal being came to take on flesh says about himself. Let me pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for prayer. Thank you for baptism. Thank you that we have feet to walk around. God, you've given us the resources we need. Help us not to believe the lie that we just need one more thing to be about your business. You've made it very simple and very transferable. God, I pray that you would give us soft hearts this morning to to your words. I pray that we wouldn't just cheer your gracious words, but God, that we would receive humbly and meekly your rebukes, your corrections, your parental discipline that comes along and says there's so much more for you. God, do a work in this place now. In Jesus' name, amen.